0: Dr. Ian Stoy, lecturer in information systems at RMIT. Can you just run through the subjects that you you teach?
1: Currently I'm only teaching one subject, which is information security. Right. But subjects I have taught include programming, uh, systems analysis and design, basic computing to students in Singapore, which is great. A really good subject, mm. databasing, whole raft of things in my time. Mm. I got really interested in information security through the mathematics. Well, that's a good way of getting into this subject then. Maybe to talk about the history of mathematics, we should sort of start with the Greeks. Mm. And then inside there, there's the Chinese remainder theorem, which is used in RSA, which is related to number theory, which which kind of the Greeks were into.
0: What does RSA stand Maybe,
1: for? revist shamir adelman they were the three guys who developed it okay and as i tell my students luckily it wasn't Adelman, revist and shamir otherwise it'd be us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right you piqued my interest with this because you you, you gave me the example of a, a guy who was an inveterate gambler uh in the you know, about 500 odd years ago and him realizing that there was, you know, if he if he bothered to sort of understand mathematics, he could get a better handle on odds and then improve his chances as a gambler. Um, so it was kind of a it was a, just an ironic, the thing that drove the the understanding of it and the development of it was um, was something as as basic as as how to how to yes. how to win win at the horses type of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, Cardano, Gerolamo Cardano. Yeah, and he was uh, he was one of the figures who uh, was responsible for a, you know the in the Renaissance period for the Renaissance of mathematics. Mm. Uh, but we know that, and
0: it was that was the Renaissance, the rebirth. But we know that there was you know there was some pretty advanced understanding of and use of maths you know by the Egyptians you know building these massive pyramids that are still standing, having them line up on certain axes and you know line up with the sun on a particular day. Um, you, you know yeah. the, the, whether it was the Mayans or people building pyramids all over the world. I mean, there's pyramids in China I've seen on on Google Earth that they've that they've dug up. Mm-hmm. Maths was being used and and um, you know understanding of geometry for for building uh, and for constructing things and for engineering things for a, for a very long well time. the
1: the maths of the the Greeks um, was pretty much geometry as was most maths really up until recently when people started using symbols, mm-hmm. they shied away from symbols because it wasn't real. Whereas you could do diagrams in the sand and it's real. Um, they had this sort of negative reaction to symbols. But Euclid's geometry was really the corner post of mathematics because it was done entirely axiomatically. So you assume a small number of ma- axioms, I, ha- I forget how many, let's say three, and you develop all of these theories about how how to measure right angle triangles you know equilateral triangles the number of degrees and is 180 all this sort of stuff inside of triangles 180 whole you know whole ream of theorems come come tumbling out of this machinery of axioms one of the axioms was wrong in real space and that is that space goes on forever um, in, f- in fact, space bends. So, so um, I mean, that's interesting to talk about, I think, as well. So that Euclid's geometry, this cornerstone of mathematics, was actually wrong in terms of real space. You could even go further. There's a possibility that, like the COVID app, there's no such thing as locality. There's just communication between particles. Yeah. And, and so on the scale, on our, on our scale... It looks like three dimensions, but that's really just a, you know, a sort of a large-scale statistical property. <laughs> so I have
0: I think I've gone down this road with you before, and it was and I was starting to blow my mind basically. You know, and then you started sending yeah. you started sending me some videos on YouTube and stuff, and then. Uh,
1: um, Shall we talk about mathematics then? Yes, absolutely. You mentioned um, the Egyptians. Mm obviously were using geometrical techniques to build their buildings. The huge enterprises needed these techniques just to shave the blocks together and to project where they, they were going to put different blocks, mm. let alone build pyramids with caverns inside them. Mm. Well, people talk about Pythagoras and the Pythagorean theorem, but for me, it's, it starts with Euclid because he boiled down all of geometry into a handful of axioms. I forget how many, maybe let's say three axioms, and you just turn the handle on these axioms and you develop all these theories about triangles, squares, um, all the angles inside a triangle add up to 180 equilateral triangles, how to draw them, all this sort of stuff. And that held sway for thousands of years and it was regarded as the you know the pinnacle of logical thinking and of mathematics so logic and mathematics there went hand in hand and developed together interestingly one of the axioms if you apply it to three-dimensional space is wrong if you keep following parallel lines off They don't necessarily keep the same distance apart in real space because real space is curved right in other words the metric in real space is not the euclidean what we now call the euclidean metric but we still use euclidean space and dimensional euclidean space all over in mathematics so if you then move forward in big jumps then we talk about Alamo Cardano so Cardano was an inveterate gambler we were talking about him last week Mm. he used mathematics to advantage in gambling so basically you throw a die if it's a fair die then there's a one in six chance that any of the numbers will come up so using mathematics he was able to work out things like given this hand, what is the probability of my getting four aces Okay, in the next whatever? You could use it to play poker and with your knowledge of probabilities, you could limit yourself to taking good bets. Mm. Now we can't do that in today's world. We can't go down to the casino and take only good bets because there are none. Mm. That's because that mathematics now is known by everybody.
0: Did that but did it, that Italian guy do well to start with at his time when he when he started applying mathematical oh, principles to I gambling? Think so he he went up a rich man, presumably.
1: He became rich, but I think he might have died in a duel or something. Mm. <laughs> you read about these mathematicians. Drank, drank. So many of them yeah. drank and had and dueled and all of that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. So he was born 1500 and a hundred or so years later people were using mathematics for all sorts of purposes. The uh, Bernoulli family, not the Bernoulli brothers because there was a a famous Bernoulli woman who, well, should be famous, is ignored by history, looked into the mathematics of uh, probability and developed theorems about Oh, there's some theorem about large numbers of, you know, if you keep throwing the dice long enough, if you throw a coin enough times, half of them will be heads and half half of them will be tails. Yep. The, the proportion tends towards a half. Yep. So he discovered that, but Cardano discovered that, but the vernoulis refined it and generalised it. So there was this refinement going on. And nothing more so than with calculus and calculus was just such a it was like even on the page it looks like you're reading the divine script you know Um, it just looks beautiful and it's it talks about infinities and infinitely small things infinitely large things and it relies on this this process of taking infinite limits i won't describe what a limit is but basically in taking a limit you can keep dividing up a small distance think of the smallest distance possible and then divide that up and you can do that in calculus just keep on doing it infinitely Mm -hmm. maybe real space is not like that either we don't know you know maybe what calculus is describing in every case is some kind of statistical average instead of measuring one point four seven six eight three two five four seven liters of water you really have to have X number of molecules of water maybe spaces like that we don't know but this limiting process allowed us to create really beautiful mathematics with wonderful curves like the exponential curve sine curves Um, the mathematics of trigonometry is intimately related back to all of these Apparently, Newton's work was full of approximations done with Taylor series. Calculations done approximating things like sine and tan and you know e to the x using series of of calculations. e to the x is I think one plus x plus x squared on two plus x cubed on three factorial etc etc. And if you if you that a number of terms, then you can actually get an approximation. You don't need a calculator. This is what the calculator does. Before calculators, this is how a lot of people earned their money right. doing trigonometry. Right. I was blown away by one of my uh, lecturers when I was a student calculating the sine of five degrees in his head. <laughs> yeah. Using, or maybe uh, he was doing it in radians. But anyway, he, you know, uh, absolutely amazing. Do you know, they were in touch with, with infinities. Can I ask how, how
0: did Isaac Newton, who was famous for you know the apple falling off the tree and landing on his head and him going, oh wow, I think there's gravity. So he developed calculus with Leibniz to help him in his calculations. So it was kind of he had a need, and the need was to understand gravity. And so he developed the maths to help him out, to, to to help him make the bigger. Well,
1: explanation. he wasn't he wasn't that nice of a guy. Right. He was master of the mint, and he loved to go and, and watch counterfeiters hang. <laughs> right. <laughs> he and he fought tooth and nail to give. I think it was Hook Robert Hook. He fought tooth and nail to take him out of the Royal Society. Right. And to and to sort of reduce his name in history right he fought tooth and nail with leibniz mm. i suspect some of these developments were to get himself highlighted in in the journals of the day right because there was a really great interest in these things mm. i mean they were discovering really powerful tools really powerful technology mm. and it was just taking off so
0: to be it's it's. i don't know it's kind of there's plenty of modern examples now but it, it, it was sort of like okay yes he was very clever guy but for him to be you know Sir Isaac Newton it's it's one of the sort of the biggest names of science of all time but for him to have that name he had to actually he did a few things in his own time which might have been a little bit underhand to secure himself that place in history by the sound of things
1: absolutely yeah mm. yeah mm. Um, he also wrote a lot he didn't believe in the Trinity and he wrote reams and Reams and Reams on that. Which which seems um incredible today.
0: Oh you mean the Holy Trinity? Um,
1: the Holy Trinity, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um surprised he Yeah, surprised, so surprised
0: he kept his head.
1: <laughs> I know. I, I don't know um what the what the political ructions were at that time. Mm. I suspect there was a lot of after the Renaissance the Reformation um there's a lot of people really sick of the massacres that were going on, but anyway, that's a, another issue. Yeah, the religious you know, the religious wars. Yeah,
0: so he was English, wasn't he? So he was probably had the benefit at least of being, you know, post Henry VIII. So he was in a in a in a country with, with its own church that could speak out about these things. You know, he wasn't going to wind up like Galileo and and be forced to recant.
1: Yes, yeah, so I think there were some European mathematicians who didn't fare so well. Right. Mm. On the other side, yeah. Mm. So if we move to today, one aspect of mathematics that I'm interested in is logic, Principia Mathematica by Russell and Whitehead. Those books take what Euclid did and applied it to very basic mathematics. So the famous thing it has been on QI is that Russell took pages and pages to prove that one and one equals two. But also out of this came set theory. Russell himself was aware of other people to, um, who had developed axiomatic approaches to mathematics. But he discovered a, a serious flaw in the logical system th- that they develop, he discovered that you couldn't have a set that defined itself in terms of its own set inclusion. So the set of all sets that aren't members of themselves—it's a bit technical. Hmm. He cu- he overcame that problem, and the set theoretical approach to mathematics became kind of the logical way to boil down all of the various approaches that are developed in the classical era.
0: You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Infinity.
1: Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au. So in calculus, there's a process called integration. And there was a, a method called the Riemann integration, which was shown to be seriously flawed. And along came a guy called Lebesgue, who developed a theory of metric spaces, which was axiomatic as well. But with the set theoretical approach, all of these various approaches that had had come up through through history could be joined together. So I remember when I was. Um, at at a primary school they started to teach us set theory and I wondered why this was so important. It seemed, it seemed so s- easy and so obvious to me um, It didn't seem like mathematics at all. It didn't seem like multiplication division or whatever mm. or solving quadratic equations but it's because it can lay the logical f- groundwork for all these other systems and it's really quite amazing and they they came up with some amazing results out of this kind of thing. One of them being the halting problem. the How can we decide if, a, if an algorithm can halt or not? We came up with a, a way of dealing with problems about mathematics that used logical theorems as a study of mathematics. And this becomes metamaths, right, metalogic, and they were able to find um, a whole lot of really interesting things about the various infinities that people had thought were different uh, or the same. They even came up with a, with a bunch of insane infinities of infinities. Um, I say insane, but, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing theoretical achievement. So that kind of held sway as the logical approf- approach to mathematics for a long time. There are other approaches. Some are slightly different and some are very wildly different. So the lambda calculus approach has, has a really big appeal for c- computer scientists. Mm because it sort of starts with um, the process of recursion, which is used by scientists in a basic way, and which is also used in mathematics to define numbers, you know, one, two, three, four, five, etc. cetera. Um, <coughs> so it's still, you know, it, it's, it's still being investigated, this logical basis for mathematics. Right. What is mathematics? Right. There are people today asking questions such as, um, "Do we uh, do we invent mathematics, or do we discover it?" And that's an interesting question. Yeah, but does it, does you know it exist
0: I mean? anyway? Well, but, but presumably there's lots of things that we can view in the natural world, like fractals, the way that trees grow, which which are very mathematical. You know, so, so that there is anu- it, It's like I once actually tried to ask a well-known gambler slash mathematician whether you could explain everything you see in the world with numbers and I didn't get an answer
1: (laughs) my take on it is that it is fantastically useful so its usefulness means something we didn't just invent it randomly out of nothing you know what I'm saying Mm um there's a universe there's can, a
0: universality about it
1: yes yeah we can we can fly to mars because of it yeah sure we can fly craft you know to outside the solar system yeah. in just a you know a seven digit number we've got such incredible precision yes that we can with co- with computers with that sort of precision fly devices to the moon back in the 60s it's just incredible yeah uh, was it in i think mathematics is discovered but how much of it we invent at the same time i'm not really sure
0: it's, it's like it's a it's a language which once you can speak it then you can use it to your advantage you know you can you can adapt the the fluency that you develop to different purposes you know look at the technologically advanced world we live in right now you know look at the fact that i'm seeing a waveform on a computer which has got a processor the size of my fingernail which can you know make billions of calculations a second that that we're talking through a phone that's you know we're we're separate from each other we can we can skype call if we want to you know we can see we you know the 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 advantages of of maths are kind of everywhere and 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 technology is the big you know you said you you taught computer programming and look at i mean that's That's a mathematical language which computers can understand and which speeds
1: up up calculations. um, the The computer scientists borrowed so much from the logicians. It's not funny. You begin your courses in computer science looking at AND gates and NOR gates. You know, very basic logical operations.
0: A lot of this is way beyond my. You know like some of what you've been getting into is sort of um beyond me but you said a few things which i've noted down and which i thought were interesting you said the infinity of infinities i mean i i would never have even imagined there could be any more than one infinite than uh, you know i mean that infinity was a sort of a a singular concept in a way there's a
1: there's a very famous proof that the in the countable numbers one two three four five six etc um, that that number of numbers is less than the number of points on the real number line. And in fact the number you know the number of points on the real number line it's a continuum. You know, So it's a famous proof and it's very easy to do. In fact weird things come out of that like for example the number of points on the number line from negative infinity to infinity is the same as the number of points between 0 and 1 <laughs> you know <laughs> it's the same infinity but there's a conjecture that the infinity of the continuum is the next infinity i can't remember if that's been proven or not okay so you mean once but it was certainly
0: that kind of to me it becomes a definitional problem because isn't infinity supposed to be endless but if you somehow can can kind of say that's one infinity then you can have another infinity beyond that so then you have an infinity of infinities
1: the way they develop them is is from axioms you have to believe every one of these axioms it goes all the way back to euclid and you can build up really fantastic useful mathematics but whether or not anyone has seen one of these infinities let alone the smallest one. <laughs> That's probably doubtful, <laughs> if you know what I mean. But it's... <laughs> I'm not, no, it's <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, it, it makes sense that if you keep on counting, you, there's no end, so it's infinite, right? yep. One, two, three, four, yep. five. But no one's ever reached the end.
0: Yep. So it's a very abstract concept.
1: Um, Yeah, but because of it, we can do so much that is incredibly useful. You know, the technology for your laptop and for Wi-Fi and for all the things that we, you know, all the technology that we use today, Mm. even working out turbulence and airflow for airplanes, Mm. all the technology Mm. is based around this kind of mathematics. Yeah.
0: Well, someone said to me, That one of the great things about sort of becoming computer literate is it actually it's the way your brain was meant to work it's the best kind of exercise you can give your brain is understanding how software works for example because computers follow logical paths so if you want to and and your brain arguably is a computer so then the more that you get involved with and and have a deeper understanding of, of computing you're exercising your brain if you like you're really you're giving it the kind of workout it wants that it was meant to have
1: I think I would agree with that I think of programming as as a huge wonderful jigsaw puzzle mm. um, and you can you make little errors and you go back and you fix them up and and you use um, detective work to define to find the bugs in your code you fix them up and then all of a sudden you've got some something that everybody can use and which works all the time
0: and and, and th- th- it's incredibly complicated i mean i was reading that you know modern cars you know mass produced cars now have got like 100 million lines of code multiple chips multiple computers multiple cpus in them control engine management all that sort of stuff um, they have uh, their own network systems yeah, and and so they've become very very complicated which has its own flow on effect that can be quite hard to service particularly ones that are made you know completely by robots you know to get a human to repair something that's made by robots is hard
1: given that level of complexity how does someone today approach these things so when i was learning programming on 8-bit machines the programs i wrote did quite useful things for me yeah i wrote games and i wrote little reverse polish calculator programs a music training program but with today's software how do you get that same sort of facility that's what and i think i've i've heard that there's a language called python Mm. one of my uh, workmates is lucky lucky enough to be teaching this language and he says it's his it's like his swiss army knife
0: with with a car that has say 100 million lines of code in it how do you automate the process of writing that code? How do you? Because you couldn't expect a person or even a team of people to collaboratively write that la- line by line. There must be software now which automates the process so you, and, and which, and yeah, which there's debugs things. And you've mentioned Python, that presumably, that, that Swiss Army knife um, uh, that you're describing, that, that must have sort of templates to, to break the process up and provide you with okay you want to do that that little small thing okay well there's the software that does that and you can bolt that in in a modular way into other things that you're trying to do i presume that's the way coding works these days it must
1: absolutely so you you bring in other pieces of code to help you write your program right so for example if i wanted to write a program that showed music you know as you played a keyboard you wouldn't write all of the instructions for reading the keyboard or all of the instructions for drawing the window on the screen you'd drag in as much as possible code that other people had used for other purposes Mm. to help you put your program together and that but you would still need here and there you would still need code to solve various problems original code of yours yeah original code Mm. yeah Mm. and you'd go almost what they call down to the wire in writing some of those.
0: What does that mean? What is down to the wire?
1: Instead of using higher level objects or higher level languages even you might go right down to the um, to the fastest code you can get which is uh, machine code and and write a little bit of machine code to do something that nobody else has thought of and to do it really really quickly.
0: Can you just so briefly s- explain what bre- what machine code
1: is? The microprocessors that are in every computer yep. have their own, their own tiny little language and they move around tiny little bits of, of information. Yeah.
0: Which is which is sort of zi- at it's that zeros and ones, isn't it? It's, 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 little, it's, yeah, little, it's, it's, it's little gates. It's almost like molecular gates,
1: isn't it? They work on words, really. So you've heard of 8-bit machines and 16-bit machines. Mm. So they work on 16 bits. 16 ones and zeros or 32 or 64 mm-hmm. and they shove those around really really quickly well it gets very tedious programming that in machine code to every time you want to add two integers together to do all of the shoving around mm-hmm. so other people have written a high level language which converts into machine le- level right, language okay. the famous one that really got everything going was c um, there were languages before that, but C was a really nice language for writing operating systems and things. So it really, it really got the whole ball rolling. And then you've got
0: a, I think the I g- variation of that is C++. That's a more modern um,
1: C++. C sharp. Yeah. yeah okay. I get. I'm a bit. Un- it's a bit unfair because COBOL, Fortran, Pascal, they all had roles to play as well. Basic mm. as mm-hmm. well. I
0: remember learning Basic at school in the in the early 1980s which was literally like, you know, line 10 was put your name in and then line 20 would be go to line 10 and then you go print and you could print your name, you know, fill, yeah. a, fill an actual yeah. sheet with your name. I mean, that's about as, yeah. as far as, yeah. I and mean, we had punch cards to use them. With. I mean, that's, that, well,
1: Yeah, they still use that when they're testing whether a machine works, you know, mm. that very program is used a lot. Yeah, I think that was the first thing I did when I got my first Commodore sixty four was type the same. Mm-hmm. So Basic there is is a high level interpreted language, and it it converts all of that code into into machine code.
0: It's a it's a fascinating conversation talking with Dr. Ian Story, lecturer in information systems at RMIT. One last little thing I was going to ask you, just you know these are these are just a little a couple of things that I scrawled down. You talked about you know the co- connection between logic and maths, right? what is metalogic
1: well metalogic takes the statements that you have in logic and it, it asks what kind of realities could correspond to this what kind of sets could correspond with this what kind of objects and it all depends on how you interpret the statements there are some really nice books written giving very simple interpretations of, of of what the logical statements mean. Okay. You take your statements meaning something about a set of objects, let's say numbers, right? Mm. And you interpret the statements meaning you divide four by two or whatever. So you don't just have the statements, you also have a, along with it the worlds that go along with it. And in metal logic, you talk a lot about what worlds it could it could have that go along with it. There's some really interesting theories there in mathematics as well in, in logic I mean. The lambda calculus seems to have a different set of objects that go along with it and it's quite interesting the difference. There is one axiom structure for calculus which actually uses infinitesimals as objects. Right. Okay, so the mathematics that most people use just keeps dividing real numbers down and keeps dividing and takes a limit. But this version of mathematics uses infinitesimals. In metamathematics, you would talk about how these are similar or how they're different or what they mean in terms of the real world as well. It's a bit mind-blowing. Yeah, it is a bit
0: mind-blowing, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm kind of used to it. I mean, I've, as I said before, I've got to be careful about the questions that I ask because I, I wind up blowing my mind yeah, yeah. And, and blowing yeah. our listeners' mind potentially as well. Thank you very much, Dr. Ian Storey, lecturer in Information Systems at RMIT, talking again about the history of mathematics and more modern applications of it. So it, it, it's always fascinating to speak with you, Ian. So very much appreciate your time.
1: Thanks very much, Piers.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: We'd love you to review us on iTunes. It's a great way to let others know if you've liked our podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Beyond Infinity RPP on
0: Facebook or Infinity RPP on Twitter.